Welcome to episode 71 of the Becoming Human podcast. This week features my guest, Austin Langley. He's a comedian who's on a bicycle adventure that's starting from Idaho, stretching across mountainous Washington and coastal Oregon, ending in Southern California. Along the way, Austin camps, stays with hosts, and performs comedy at local open mics. Austin is also raising money for World Bicycle Relief. The organization provides bikes to people in need in Africa. If you'd like to donate or follow Austin, you can go and check him out at Jokes and Spokes. And the link to the World Bicycle Relief and Austin's Instagram will be left in the show notes. I have a penchant for those who cling to adventure and pursue challenging experiences into the unknown. It was a blast getting to host Austin in my house for a night and listen to all his stories. So without any further ado, here's Austin Langley. I'm going to play you in with a little bit of a track from Christoph Crane. Enjoy. I met a middle-aged man in the apple orchard and he showed me the key to life. He said everything happening outside of me is a reflection of what's inside. So I asked this man to turn into a ghost, so this is all on me? He said no, silly ducks on all of us, turn the rock back into a seed. Said a couple of years back there came a time where our kind was faced with a choice. One option was we could gain the awareness of how to experience joy. But with that joy there comes a catch it. One you can't catch with a net set. If you get that joy, it will be destroyed. Alright, hey everybody, I got my pal Austin here. What's happening? My name's Austin Langley, traveling cyclist, stand-up comedian. Right now, I'm riding my bicycle from the inland northwest down to Southern California, stopping at any and all open mics along the way. Ooh, that sounds like fun. It, it's been it's been fun so far. I've yet to perform any comedy, but starting Sunday, I think I'll be in Bellingham. I think there's a few open mics Sunday, Monday, Tuesday that I'm looking to hit up, mm-hmm. and then move downward to Seattle. Yeah, that's rad. Have you ever done a, a bike tour like this before? I have. In 2015, I rode basically the same route from my hometown of Sandpoint, Idaho, across northern Washington, into the San Juans, and then down the coastline to the California-Oregon border. Oh, that would be beautiful, man, with the sea stacks all along the coast. It's pretty pretty damn gorgeous, and I got lucky on weather. I had to deal with like very little rain. This time, I've already dealt with more rain than I had last time. What what's it like when you deal with rain? Uh, like, uh, do you it's, enjoy the rain? Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a physical, mental. It's a challenge, that's for sure. Mother Nature shows up like some sort of drill sergeant takes a piss on you. I was like, you still know where you stand as a human? You're like, yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Please do not put any more punishment on me. But yeah, I mean, that and you're dealing with the battle of like pain between your legs they chime in and you can't you don't have time to listen to them mm-hmm. you're like just think about how good you're gonna look <laughs> yeah. and then yeah and then your bike feels like yeah. it's playing jokes on you where you're like you you're not working well enough and it's like no your legs your legs aren't working it's <laughs> like, yeah i know but think about how good they're gonna look <laughs> you can get jacked yeah and so you even have to camp in the yep, rain, camping all self-contained. Last night I camped at the bottom of the pass in the rain. It just sucks setting up and breaking down. Uh, what what goes through your mind when you're when you're cycling throughout the day? Are you just complete tunnel? Um, that kind of jokes. I mean, a lot of silly, a lot of silly stuff. That's for sure. 
Um, sometimes I'll I'll bump beats, put music on, and that's like nice for climbing and stuff where you're just like, all right, getting a rhythm. You got the rocky music on. Yeah, and it can only get so hard, really. You can only drop so many gears to where you're like, okay, this is this is the extent of it, mm-hmm. and you find a mixture of pain and self-will to do it as well from there so what's your favorite the uphill or the downhill uh they've they've (laughs) they've both got their pros and cons because uphill you i mean you break a sweat you get the heart rate going there is like a weird uh, it's only happened like twice this this trip but there's a weird perfect hill where as soon as you get done with climbing it you're like that that ultimate like uh, like high where you're like I'm buzzing for like 45 seconds. It's mm-hmm. like a weird hit of salvia. Oh, it's so much fun. So there is like a couple hills where you're like okay, 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 and then you get to the top and you're just like, and so, but there's but then it also there's like the way too big of hills where you bypass everything that was good feeling and you're into like all right here we go like grinding yeah yeah do you still get any kind of euphoria after the fact though you do and mentally too i mean like there's a there's a huge gratification that comes with passing over a five thousand and a half foot climb or Mm -hmm. at least a four thousand foot climb but five and a half thousand foot cliff or pass Mm -hmm. but it is yeah it is a it is a surreal feeling for sure I mean, with every hill you climb is an achievement towards whatever it is that I'm doing. I'm not mm. even quite sure what it is yet. Mm. That really helps me for when I'm trail running because I do not like uphills. Yeah. It is so hard to maintain a consistent pace up the hill. Yeah. I've had to teach myself to run, and it's because there's no, like, thrill aspect. It's just grinding. Yep. Um, do you, so there's caveats to the downhill for you? The downhill is, well, I mean, I mean, not much besides mm. the fact into the, <laughs> until you run into another uphill and then you're like, <laughs> I thought it was all downhill, <laughs> but that's, I mean, it's cold. So like I, there's times where you climb a pass, you got to change clothes like completely and then, then ride down in like a new set mm. and with like a windbreaker on and stuff. Cause it's just sweat from the inside out or whatever. Oh, wow. So there's times where I, like, will change. I mean, or just, like, bundle up in general, put a hoodie on and a beanie, slap some gloves on, and, like, I mean, you bomb a hill, it's cold. That's for damn sure. Especially when you wake up 7, 8 in the morning, and that's the first thing you have to do. It's, like, 40 degrees outside. It's cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to warm up with the yeah. day like an old truck. But... You put a 100-pound bicycle going 35, 40 down a hill. I mean, it's the equivalency of a speeder bike. You have 40 miles an hour down the hill? I Yeah. Wow. I haven't... I mean, this this trip, I didn't I didn't bring a cycle com- computer because it's... Yeah. Why didn't you bring a cycle computer? Because it's all about the adventure. Ooh. But, yeah. <laughs> just because, um, yeah, it's not... I don't know if it's necessary. People, people just put that up as their their post or whatnot and i don't want to hear about it mm-hmm. it's nothing i mean nothing and against so, you so but. for you it's not it didn't take effort not to do this it's just your natural tendency not to um uh obsessively manage things. i just didn't yeah i didn't yeah. want to i didn't want to look at the map a bunch i didn't want to look at okay. how many miles i crushed how many or whatever mm-hmm. like i just wanted to to they just wanted to have fun and you like the spon- yeah. spontaneity of it for sure. And it, I mean, it helped. I lost my map like first three days in, so I was like, okay, here we go. Like this is this is how you actually do it. And 
So that was fun kind of aspect. And, I mean, Google's always got your back. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The man. Google Maps is unreal, really. My son always, my son was afraid uh, at certain points in Seattle, Dad, we're going to get lost. I'm like, Dude, I have all of the world's information yeah. in my hand. Exactly. Even even in the middle of nowhere, I'm like, oh, still, it'll tell me exactly You don't need service. Yeah, it's like, it's crazy. That's for sure. And when you were coming over across um, the northern portion of Washington from the east to the west, um, you come up to Washington Pass. Yep, and And the Cascades there. That's your highest point, That's the highest point. I don't think it's the biggest climb. I think Sherman Pass starts a little lower and then goes up to almost about as high as Washington Pass. So, like, how fast did you go down those hills? Those ones, I mean, you get going, you get going fast, and I mean, <laughs> I think there's a, probably a couple times I broke like recommended speeds around corners. They maybe. have recommend. Oh, like the yellow signs that oh, are what? like 35 recommended. I'm like, who's gonna take that? But living on the danger zone. <laughs> like I said, I don't know how fast I've really been been going but it does suck when you are going downhill and there's a wind coming uphill and you're like i can't even can't even go downhill fast like that's oh. the worst. that's even more frustrating but yeah it's a fun time that's for sure if i if anybody ever gets a chance i recommend it uh, were you naturally inclined to do adventures like these um like- yeah i've always i mean being raised in the northwest it's kind of just it's there. It's, I mean, it, at your fingertips, really. Whether it's a, a hike, a bike, a, a swim. I mean, we've got one of the best lakes, whatnot. And skiing, I take a, a huge advantage of adventuring in the wintertime. But, yeah, this one, I mean, it's bigger and it's bigger and better. It's lonely, that's for sure. Okay. I have, uh, I have yet to, I mean, like, I've met other cyclists, but you don't, I don't know. It's yeah, it's weird to hit it off or make sure that you could ride with somebody or they can you have to you have to cross trails pretty well. How do you feel about the quality of that loneliness? Um I sometimes I enjoy it. I mean, I'm in a happy relationship, so that always sucks when I'm like, "Damn, I just want to be in a warm bed with her, but whatever, I'm in the rain in a tent." struggling to sleep or whatever. <laughs> Does that have any benefit when you um go back to your partner? Oh yeah, I'm sure I'm sure our relationship will be stronger because of it, for mm-hmm. sure. But um yeah, I mean it's just something it's something she feels I need to do, it's something I needed to do and hopefully we'll make yeah. Were there any fears or uncertainty going into this uh adventure? Oh yeah. I mean the whole 3-4 days it's very emotional. We yeah, I mean, there was multiple times where it was just like, shit, I'm leaving my hometown, I'm leaving my friends and family, I'm leaving my comedy scene, I'm leaving everything that's ever felt comfortable to ride my bike a long distance to get, yeah, laughs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But hopefully those laughs come along, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Uh. Someday. But. It is. I mean, it'd be, I think before any adventure, there's always a, there's always a wild part of just what's going to happen and what's about to happen, whether you have no idea or you think you have all the ideas in the world. And 
isn't that the quintessential quality of adventure? Yeah, definitely. I mean, adventure. Adventure is more than. I mean, I think being younger, everyone always has this like adventure is just oh, it's going to be great fun. It's adventure is always a, a smile, but adventure is so much more than than just like sh- shits and giggles. I mean, there's struggles. There's there's shit you have to overcome. I don't know. It's just yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a it's a mental thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I don't know. You, you leave everything that's known into the unknown, right? Yeah, and I felt confident with this first leg, but still, there's no. I mean, you have no idea what what's gonna happen. Whether you're gonna blow a tire out somewhere random, or you're gonna take a spill, or whether your Achilles is gonna fail and you're not gonna be able to continue to like ride mm-hmm. and ultimately finish the goal that you set out to complete have any of these uh these fears or uncertainties that you face on this trip have they ever held you back in doing something before um yeah probably i mean uh yeah my life my life has changed drastically in the last five years i i quit drinking I, i struggled with that um, I tried to take a swing at it for a few years and then went back to it and then, and then did my time and now I'm sober five years or at least recovering alcoholic. Um, so I think within the last five years, I've probably grown more as a person than I ever did in the last mm. 23 years. You know what I mean? Why? Just, just, I don't know, clear head knowing what you enjoy in life that isn't isn't i don't know a substance i guess Mm -hmm. figuring out what where to get your kicks besides on drugs and alcohol or whatnot before you got quit drinking did you have an inclination of where you would get your kicks from um it was just i mean i still had the sense of adventure and it was like skiing and whatnot, but and cycling and like those all involve alcohol. Those all end at the bar. Mm. You know what I mean? Which sucks. And so now my skiing and my biking and everything has changed drastically because I'm not I'm not hanging out three hours after the hill closes to get drunk and dangerously drive down a hill. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, more time in the day. I wake up early, I like to get shit done. I don't know, there's things that, it's just, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just a different way to live life. Yeah. People people are like, like are blown away that I wake up at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning on my, when I'm at home. I'm like, well, what the, what else am I supposed to do? I go to, I mean, I go to bed at a reasonable hour. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And why stay up late? I mean. Yeah. Unless you like the feeling of uh, getting tired and then getting that kind of silliness that you get from tired. I mean, that's fun to write with, but I, I prefer to wake up more in the morning and I didn't think that when I was younger. I used yeah. to covet, like, yeah, I'm going to stay out all night, really enjoy it, you know. And, nah. Yeah. I like to get up really early and just start that day fresh, you know. Yeah. Well, and, like, I I mean, literally, I'll have three, four things done before my girlfriend even gets up. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And, and, and in that, too, it's, you know, it's just, like you were saying before, um, before we even did the podcast, right, is different obsessions and different motivations, different values. Right, because there's uh, certain things that 
that we do um, for wellness that could be arguably compulsive. Yeah, and I mean, we were discussing whether that's addiction and whether that should be considered, if it's a good thing, still an addiction. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at a workaholic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an addiction, but it's paying the bills. Mm-hmm. It's bringing home the bacon. I mean, yeah, you could, yeah, I don't know. So, for for alcohol, for instance, um, for you, was it? What was the determination, if you don't mind talking about it, uh, not at all, of why you had to quit drinking? Um, it was it was uh, it was just multiple times of just going down the wrong hill. I was arrested. I did multiple stints in jail for a short time, and then, um, yeah, I called it quits. I actually got sober in jail, which always sucks. Why? I don't know, just because you're dealing with other... Then you come out of it, and you're like, I'm not supposed to be here. Mm. But, I mean, it's you are, because mm-hmm. you did the crime, you do the time. But, um, yeah, and then after I quit drinking, I was forced to ride my bicycle. Like I was supposed, I was forced to go out to the jail every day to take a breathalyzer, and they took my license away. So I rode my bike almost six to eight miles a day every every morning before eight o'clock, and that was just basically court ordered. I mean, they didn't order the bicycle, but that was the <laughs> only sense of transportation. <laughs> So that's wild. It, that takes a certain level of determination and diligence to be able to function with those requirements. Dude, it's a game. That's... The whole the whole law system in general is. I mean, I don't want to be that dude who's like, "Ooh, screw the system." But it is. Once you're in there, they've got the right tools to keep you there or to make you do the wrong things. Where they should be offering whether it's like an outdoor wilderness program like hey you want to go get sober mm-hmm. in the woods like let's do that i don't know i would be way more willing or people would be more willing to do that or something like that or, or like it's skill based yeah yeah or just i mean like hey you want to know what it's like to survive without alcohol and drugs and survive in general like you know, yeah. know you know what i mean Take care of yourself yeah yeah it's like i don't know there could be there could be better aspects than what there is to offer with a probation officer and then hey don't go do drugs and pee in this cup again let's just yeah it's not gonna it's not gonna work for a 98 percent people when i was growing up right i uh i went to the alternative school Mm -hmm. and in the alternative school i had uh often friends who were on probation yeah not often yeah um and it was like a noose. They give you enough rope to hang yourself with. And it was just mm-hmm. like a game of cat and mouse. Whereas like a good probation officer makes sure that um, said person, you know, abides by all the rules. And if they're suspicious, they're always antitrust. It's like they don't, it's hard to build a positive relationship instead of an adversarial relationship between probation officer and you yeah. know, a person. And that's what, I mean, I realized, I realized that the system, especially with probation officers, were all a game too. And the way I looked at it was like, hey, here's two years that you have to obey by the rules, basically. And if, I mean, even those two years, hopefully, you can get off in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But you play by the rules. You do what you got to do. I mean, you basically don't smoke weed. You don't drink booze. You don't do whatever else you were doing that got you in trouble. And you and you walk away from it. Mm-hmm. 
But, I mean, for those two years, you play by the rules. And I did it a couple of times. And this last time I knew I was like, it was funny because the, <laughs> the probation officer was like, yeah, you get your community service done and you, uh, you pay off your fines. We'll, uh, we'll get you off of probation. And so I literally did my community service within like three weeks and then put like all my money to my fines within like the first month. And How much like, were your fines? It was like fifteen hundred dollars, like with court f- fees and stuff. Did you damage any property? No. Okay, keep going. But uh, it was, then I paid that off within like the first month and a half. It was all like taken care of, and he was like, "Oh, actually, you got to be on probation six months before you can be asked for early release." I'm like, "Well, what the hell did you tell me this for, then, bro?" Yeah. So I at least got everything done early, and then was like, "Okay." Come by my house anytime you want. I bet, I bet that made you feel good, though. Yeah, and that was another thing, too, is it showed the probation officer was like, oh, I did say this, and I didn't think he was going to follow through with what he just followed through with, but here you go. Did that change the relationship that you had with the probation officer? Oh, I always had, like, a pretty good relationship with the probation officer. He kind of knew. The weird one about, so it took him a year to sentence me the last time I was arrested. So I was sober a year before they even sentenced me. Whoa. And then they asked me to go to counseling, and I was like, excuse me, I've done this, basically, on my own, with my own methods and techniques. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm hanging out with, I mean, reti- other other abusers mm-hmm. who are like, I'm like, yeah, I haven't had a drink in almost a year, and no one bats an eye, and the next dude's like, oh, I haven't slammed heroin in two days, and everyone's like, yay, like, great job. And it's like, oh, did you guys not hear what I just said? Like, I don't know, but thanks. I mean, I'm good for you, dude. But yeah, it was just a weird, it felt like I was moving backwards after mm. I had been sober for so long to go back and hang out with people who are really in the midst of, like, I'm trying to mm-hmm. recover, and it's, yeah. It'd be hard to stand tall in the face of that. And that was the thing, too, is I had a couple one-on-ones with the counselor, and she's like, I understand I, your feelings, and I I feel that you don't want to be here. And I'm like, she's like, but if you ever want to come back and offer me advice, or offer good words, I'm like, those people don't, if those people want help, they will get help. Like, mm-hmm. they're they're the ones who decide, you know what I mean? And that's the way it goes, is like... I mean, I as a as a counselor. I mean, like I mean, not as a counselor, but <laughs> if I was a counselor, that would be like, come to me when you want help. Is that so? When you decided to, you know, make those changes, obviously they're forced by like law. But if you were to give yourself advice, right, to your former self, going through all of that, how would you give yourself advice? Hmm. I mean, yeah, it would be tough not to because what I went through sucked. But I mean. It's it's what made me who I am today. You know what I mean? It, like I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't be a comedian if I was still drinking. I wouldn't have half the friends that I have. I wouldn't have. I probably I I don't know if I'd still be alive. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't be riding my bicycle like I ride my bike. I wouldn't. Or if I was still drinking, my life would have been. I was overweight. I was gross. I was bloated. I was all around just terrible person. I stopped riding my bike. I lost 40 pounds within the first month. Mm-hmm. My friends didn't put it past me. That went from, like, booze to hardcore heroin. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about heroin, but I'm pretty sure hardcore is the worst kind. Yes. <laughs> but, and it was, yeah. And then leads me to where I'm at today, seeking approval mm-hmm. from strangers. 
on random nights. And is your belief that um, that that you can't help other people unless they ask for help? No, I just think they're the ultimate decider of when it's going to happen. Mm. It, it has. To, there's a thing that goes off. I mean, I, and there's yeah. I just there's a point where. If you're going to get sober, you're going to do it. Well, let me throw it this way. If you had a friend who was struggling, right, with alcohol, and they didn't want to stop, but you cared about them. And that one's that one's tough, too, because I'm like a, I'm kind of like that hardship, no sympathy I'm the same way. kind of guy. But, I mean, it is tough to watch. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, if I do see friends, I guess, struggling with it, I'm always there. And they know that I think, but I'm not gonna go. Gonna go. I'm not gonna go pull them out of a bar and be like, "You're a bad person for doing this." You know what I mean? Wouldn't that then mean that you're superior in that fashion? Yeah, right? or some weird alpha. I don't or know. God, because yeah. you're trying to construct people in your own image. Yeah, you're saying like your life really should be this way, and it should be good. You shouldn't. You know, you shouldn't suffer. Yeah, that shouldn't happen to you. And that's like, if you say that, then that means you're the you're a creator you're the decider you're judge jury and execution who are you to claim that pedestal and that's where i get off or not yeah <laughs> that's where i stand yeah is because i have people around me who struggle and it's like at first i want to help but then it just get worse if i forced my way like you should you should do this let's go out of my way and entangle myself but i'm like listen if you want to come hike if you want to do yeah. martial arts if you want to do some co- I'm, I'm right here that's the thing is like anybody that knows i knows i'm willing to help but i ain't gonna it like yeah. Mm-hmm. If they don't ultimately want it, then it's not gonna happen. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. And you still uh, integrate with that culture, like uh, nightlife culture? Yeah, I mean, being a comic, it's hard to avoid. I mean, that's alcohol is just part of the lubricant. But uh, and I go to the bars. I go if my friends are hanging out down there, or if we're doing something. And or if it's a celebration, yeah, I'll go to the bars. You can discipline like a light switch. Just I'm not drinking. Yeah, it's just well, and that's just that's just looking back at all the dumb shit I did, basically. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and, and Sandpoint's a small enough town where I, I probably couldn't even get a drink. Mm-hmm. I hold the record at the 219 for being kicked out the most and still let back in wow but so it's like they all know my history and they know how far i've come since i've stopped drinking and being in a small town everybody's like oh my god i still get it's been five years and people are still like oh my god you look amazing (laughs) and i'm like thank you but i mean it's been a while (laughs) like since at least the transformation (laughs) from when i was a gross person but it's just it's funny because, yeah, everybody knows my history in that small town, for sure. Did you drink every day when you were drinking? Yeah. What do you look forward to every day now? Every day now? Mm-hmm. It's, man. I mean, like, because I, so, let me frame it this way. With drinking, right, you can consistently rely on it as something to look forward to. Yeah. Do you have something that you can consistently rely on to look forward to day in and day out? Um, that comes with the seasons, really. Ooh. I think I mean there's like the I'm a big fan of having all four seasons and and uh and being able to take the like the spring and fall to watch the shitty movies that you didn't get to watch or whatever and then have summer and and winter to to play basically mm-hmm. is yeah there's 
I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of living life in the moment, but it's... Yeah, there's not something I don't think every day. I mean, I like, like, a morning walk to get coffee or whatnot, mm-hmm. but... Or... I don't know, I'm trying to think of what my... Do you have... And you see so you base your life around uh, athletics uh, quite I, a bit. Mostly. I mean, not necessarily, like, this is what... I just... I just have my... One of my biggest pet peeves in this world is fucking laziness. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Whoa. I hate when people will drive their car three blocks to go to work when it's like, dude... Or I I work for a cab company in Sandpoint, and there's some people who need to walk. You know what I mean? I'm like, you should not be getting in any car when it's a freaking five to ten blocks. You should be walking because you could use it. I was working for, I was in L.A., right? And I got picked up by an Uber driver. I worked for Uber and Lyft for a while, so we are just talking about, you know, driving, right? And he goes, says that he has to, he goes to the hotel, he gets a pickup request from, uh, from this guy, goes to the hotel, this guy's like big like maybe more killer whale not quite sperm whale and he picks him up and then he goes across the parking <laughs> lot <laughs> to the restaurant on the corner of the parking lot the the hotel yeah. <laughs> and he he gets out and he's like this is your destination he's like yeah you want to sit out here and pick me up take me back <laughs> see that would i would i would I would lose my shit. I would yeah, I would say something first off and then I would I mean I guess he's paying me money. I don't know, <laughs> dude. It's one of the biggest like I used to have a roommate that would I used to have a roommate that would just drive to work and it was like three blocks away. <laughs> really? And every time she would leave it took me so much not to say anything and be like, What like why are you doing this? I don't know. Laziness. I maybe, maybe I just sound like an asshole, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun though, isn't it? Because then you get endorphins, right? It, it and is. You get the no drug response. What, yeah. No matter what you get, I mean, no matter what, it's going to be healthier than firing up your car <laughs> to drive three blocks. <laughs> they, I li- they've literally done studies that that kids who walk and ride their bicycles to school will learn and adapt better than the ones who, I guess, were driven in a bus or sat, like, I don't know, in a car. But maybe... That's just me, too. I also don't think kids should have strollers. (laughs) (laughs) Or leashes. Yeah, either or. Like, if that that kid... (laughs) Is gonna like I would run that kid like a dog, like and let it sleep. <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> listen, this this is the problem. You're right, I, I guess, because like my son, we go to the zoo, and it's literally they pile the kids up on the strollers, and my son could walk the whole zoo, and he's what, three and a half, four. Yeah. And these other kids, there's. Veg in the strollers like five and six, and I'm like, exactly. And they would walk for a little bit. I'm tired. Dude, you walk into a restaurant with a stroller, get the fuck out of yes. here. Just because it's, dude. And I would, if I mean, I'm not a parent, and I shouldn't be giving advice. But yeah, freaking run around, jump off that rock, like bounce around, get that energy out because your ass is gonna pass out within minutes, like. 
they have the energy that they could do it up until basically they will fall asleep. So you're like, oh, let's, let's push yeah. up. <laughs> let's see how far this goes. Yeah, exactly. Start running right next to yeah. him. I don't know. I don't think strollers should be allowed. But no, that's just... Nor leashes, though. <laughs> yeah, that's just weird. You just teach them how to find their way. <laughs> that's how it was with sippy cups. So my son, he never had a sippy cup. Um, they would, because the whole idea is just so they don't spill. I'm like, <laughs> Why don't you teach him <laughs> to learn to not spill? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Just yeah. let him spill and keep and keep making him drink. Yeah. And my son was holding glass cups when he was seven months old. Yeah. It, yeah, I think so. It, it only it makes yeah, makes sense. I mean, <laughs> you build something that's not acceptance of failure. You're like, no, this you can't fail with this. Then yeah. you're not gonna learn. Yeah. Well, in in the comedy community, isn't that like benefit or skill building? Isn't that beneficial as a not acceptance of failure? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, it's not. It's never a fail because, mm-hmm. like, I've bombed and I've heard crickets. I've heard flat lines before, where, um, it's it. I've learned more from those than I ever have learned from doing well on stage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's things that'll automatically click in your head after you've bombed, where you're like, "Oh, that's why. Oh, was it this reason? Oh, I did that wrong." And those are the things that you're immediately changing. When you do well, you're like, man, it was funny when I said that. It was funny when I said that. But those aren't a, those aren't going to make your joke better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just candy. It's just, yeah, like, it's just, it's just like you're stoked about it. So you're going to, mm-hmm. but what's going to make your joke better is watching it take a digger. Mm. That's for sure. It's just eat shit. You could argue that's similar with your, like, bicycle adventure, right? Because yeah. you, you go out there and you realize, oh, I eat too much, or I, I yeah. didn't hydrate enough. And, oh, yeah, and that's a, it's a, it's a learning curve in general. I'm more, I'm more aware of it now than I was my last bike ride. My last bike ride, I thought I could just survive off of wood, pounding some coffee and hitting the road. Mm-hmm. And you'll get so far, but, I mean, even this time, I've just been nonstop snacking. And, was but it, there's times you fail, for sure. Was it the same going into comedy? Did you just think, I just go up there and say shit? Mm-hmm. It's exactly <laughs> what I thought. I thought, I was like, oh, I can, people have told me I'm funny. That must be enough to do this. And now, like, comedy is a totally different thing where I focus on my smile. I focus on what I wear. I focus on, like, my facial expressions in general, my timing which is a very hard one to like actually tone down like to figure out and even just i mean there's still things that are like like really clicking like recently learned eye contact with an audience member i really enjoy because it adds that intimate feeling of like hey are you gonna laugh are you gonna laugh at my joke like i'm i don't know and that and it everybody else can feel it too where they're like oh he's connecting I don't do you know. Do there like is stall one eye contact all the whole uh, um, set or no? Because that would just be shit. weird. Yeah. You, can't, like, you can't hold it like too long. It's like, you're like lady, I'm just staring at it's you. Like, you're at a park, <laughs> staring at a lady in the yeah. eye. <laughs> Everyone else would. And there would be a point where like 45, 50 seconds in, people would be like, "Yeah, he's really staring at that woman." That is a little weird, but <laughs> no. But eye contact in general. <laughs> I feel like I really enjoy. Sometimes there's times where you can't even see who's in the audience or whatever. Mm-hmm. Luckily, everyone's yeah. If they're everyone's up front, then you can get that 
intimate feeling. It's the same thing from going to like a big room to a small room. I've done like the Panada Theater at home, Ooh. which was like the Follies and big, I mean, 560 people in that room. Mm-hmm. But I did it for uh, for dress rehearsals to like 10 people. And that's a giant room to like fill with laughter, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then to be able to like, I don't know, to do it and understand how that works mm-hmm. from going to like, this room's ginormous, that one little laugh isn't going to echo oh, through. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, every, the the comedy world is so much different just I because mean, it, it, it all takes a factor, mm-hmm. for sure. When you're playing music, I feel like you can maybe just get up there, people will be stoked about it, or they will just kind of continue with their conversation. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, I don't know, two weeks before I left, I bombed at this brewery because i the guy was like yeah we're doing our anniversary you can come plug your fundraiser and and come do comedy and he calls me like the day before and i show up and he's like i show up in the next day for this event and he's like oh oh i forgot i told you to come do comedy and like it's in a parking lot there's no there's nothing can contain anything like 25 people spread out over hundred square yards where I'm like, this is going to be bad. I have one little microphone in the corner and I'm just like, okay, hey, here we go. And I step up and I like choke and I choke and I choke. I make fun of some, I make Mr. McNulty. I don't know if you went to the same point. I, I called him Santa Claus and was just like, this is going as well as I thought it would. And it's just like, I brought my donation jar for World Bicycle Relief, and no one put a cent in that. <laughs> how, how do you does that does that hurt your ego when you walk away from that? And you you just gotta learn to shrug it off. But it does. It's amazing how it's amazing how you can decide how fifteen people can decide mm-hmm. how good your feelings yeah, are. You yeah. know what I mean? Or but, those people I'm never even gonna see again, or care to, or like they're not important in my life at all you know what i mean and i imagine that like in your daily life um that would spill over to where you realize that like with yourself like even though you know we we do tend to vie for other people's attention however um knowing that like at the end of the day how you view yourself and and, you know not the outside uh what do you call it Uh, reciprocate yeah and i mean and like i mean like we're Everyone's looking for acceptance from yeah. somewhere, and and it's it's getting it, I guess, within or whatnot mm-hmm. that it's it's there, but that comes with so many other things of mm-hmm. like like confidence and walking with your head held high, and even like learning to do that as a as who you are, and everyone, I mean, everyone's got their their own style and way about it for sure but it's just yeah approaching approaching life i feel like is what a way i kind of like i guess approach stage is like when i walk up on stage it's with a lot of energy and it's with like my head held high and the confidence because i feel like the audience is a vicious beast of a creature and will smell any sense of whether it's fear or i mean second guessing or whatever i mean they they somehow do it yeah but so i don't know i feel like approaching life in that way too where being able to shrug stuff off and still walk 
to the next, I guess. With with all of the the enthusiasm to to be able to enrich the experience For as sure. to as opposed to like darkening the experience. Cuz that's interesting when you uh when you even step into a room, right? If you're tall, mm-hmm. by nature of that, you you may have different opportunities. If you're short, you also have yeah. le- it could have lesser cuz you you garner less attention. But if you were to walk into a room and make yourself like known, right? Yeah. For just you're enthusiastic, for instance. Yeah. Right. Or you're talkative instead of the person who's just quiet off to the side. You've literally just influenced the whole situation, and you've changed the energy of the room. Um, not some hippie ass way, but in a social way. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, yeah, it's and inner. I don't know. Energy. Yeah. Energy goes along with that whole comedy world as well, where you mm-hmm. can you're in control, like as if. Comedy's as if you walked into a room and everyone's like, hey, we've got to listen to this guy real quick. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, to be able to walk into a room and break the ice or the tension, even at work, I feel like I'm the guy that ends up having to cheer up the whoever's pissed off dude. You know what I mean? Have you always been like that? Mm, or often? Kind of. I mean, ever since I stopped drinking, which is funny because I, I worked at Trinity like right after I worked at a restaurant. Right after uh, I stopped drinking, and I was cool and, like, cool-tempered and could do the job without any stress. And the boss was always like, man, I really enjoy how, like, cool and collected you are. Keep up the good work. And so I was like, well, I mean, everyone else is boozing. Mm -hmm. And whether they're out last night or wanting the drink tonight or whatever, they're all stressed out and pissed off running around. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like something that was... Yeah, I was easier to collect for sure. Mm, yeah, the having that ability to maintain like uh, what do you call it? like manage stress and stuff and high stress situations is really helpful for going up on stage. At least initially when you start comedy, because it's like a that was a shocker for me just being in that that whole scenario. Even though I've done poetry in the past, uh, it was a lot different in that way. <coughs> what's your what do you what draws you back into comedy every time or what drew you into comedy um it's uh it's got it's it's got it's highs and lows it's addicting i mean it's just like anything like we were saying is is, is it a good addiction <laughs> but um it is addicting whether it is a good or bad that you got for some reason and it's that acceptance, dude. It comes back to, I enjoy your laughter. You know what I mean? Like, I want to feed off your laughter. <laughs> yes. But you need a power man. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, that's like taking it to an extreme level. But it's a, it's a weird, crazy feeling that I've never really gotten from any other substance. But to walk off stage and have people give you high fives, whether it's your friends or random people, and be like, dude, nice job. You're like, oh, sweet. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. When it's just something that you, when some bullshit that you put down. And I, some of the, the coolest thing that's ever happened in my comedy is I have jokes about alcohol and how I recovered. And I work with another woman who is in AA. And she actually was like, oh, my God, my friends who were also in AA went and saw your comedy show at the bar the other night because it was a special occasion. They were able they wanted to go see something. And they said that 
they were very stoked about your set and it was very welcoming and they felt like it wasn't like they felt like they could be there because there was a comic on stage talking about how he had alcohol abuse and I was like holy shit like I never thought my comedy would would do that for somebody I mm -hmm. thought it was just like oh here's some honest bullshit that I mean I really went through and this is the outcome but to like hear somebody be like oh wow that actually helped somebody and feel welcome or whatnot in a room of other people who are drunk which is cool mm -hmm. yeah it, it kind of gives it that extra pizzazz for it you know? yeah or for sure fun to it that that's where i get with my writing is i've always been drawn to writing to try to uh, understand the things that, that I'd go through, but I really don't like that super serious undertone. It, cause it was, I don't know, standing up on stage in that way. It made me feel like I was protesting Yeah, and being able to find a way to laugh at it myself. It was like it, an interesting way to work through certain things, you know, Yeah, and also not take myself so seriously. And, and stand up is, they say one of the last like true forms of, I mean, free speech. And it's crazy to think to think about what comedy has done, even just for for that, I guess, too. I mean, look at Lenny Bruce. Got arrested for saying cocksucker from way back in the day. I mean, 40 years after he died, the city released him of his charges because they said it was de de denying free speech. Wow. So it's like to watch, to watch, I don't know, just a random dude who wanted to have fun back in the day and was like okay i can test the limits and say some bad words to get arrested come to find out get freed of his charges mm -hmm. i mean years after he had died which is crazy that's insane so it's like i don't know the 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 free speech thing is something that i do have definitely a passion for mm -hmm. but i mean it all comes back to the audience is the ultimate decider I mean, when you're on stage, if people don't want... I mean, and with comedy, it's got to be funny. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of points that people can bring up that are powerful and whatnot, too. But if if it's not funny, people aren't still going to, like, agree with it. I mean, they will because they're like, oh, yeah, of course we're against school shootings. But where was the funny in yeah. that? Like, I mean, you can... Yeah. And uh, with with that... Do you change the content altogether, or do you try to find a way to make it funny? Um, like, I, yeah, it, I mean, I don't know. I there's like there's things that I avoid in general. Like I wouldn't, I never use the word bitch on stage because that's that will offend my lady audiences. And I'm, I mean, I I used to feel it like I would say that word without even thinking about it, mm -hmm. and I would all of a sudden just feel the room like kind of go stale or you could i don't know no that makes and then or i would never i would never use i would never use the r word never use retarded on stage like that's not something i would say um but i mean it just leaves a bad taste in people's mouth mm -hmm. and like some people want that reaction of like saying something crazy but i don't know i'm not necessarily i still want to craft a good joke mm -hmm. and i still want to entertain people and the whole thing, like, with building an act is I'm trying to, like, kind of figure out the perfect combination of these jokes that I've written that I know do well and which way they're going to form into the ultimate Jenga set that I'm trying to build. So you just, like, 
Mickey I got Mouse. three and a half, three and a half, or I've got my old people jokes that I intertwine with like this, or I say I have like jokes that make me likable that I will throw out in the beginning of my set because I'm like, oh, this will get the audience on my side. And then I have jokes that I would never even say unless I had like a full applaud break. I was like, okay, these guys really accept me. What do you think about fat people's feet? And then I would like drop that stupid joke. But mm-hmm. like, I don't know, there is, there is, yeah. I mean, there's just certain, yeah, it's feeling it out. Do you, um, do you dance in, do you note take? Um, I, I do not, not like as other people are performing, which I should, but definitely mentally where I'm like, oh, don't do that. Cause like I do enjoy as a comic, there's like a sick way of watching. You want to watch people bomb or you just like watching bizarre, weird things happen on stage and you're like, okay, that didn't go over well at all. That's why I like kill Tony. Yeah, exactly. When I was in LA, I watched a guy eat really really hot peppers on stage and perform for like four minutes and was just like snot running eyes running and was like <laughs> i mean it yeah, i thought it killed but <laughs> it didn't <laughs> um but yeah there's like a sick part of us that enjoys unless it's like one of your friends and then you're like unless it's someone you're rooting for because mm-hmm. then you're like Ugh. yeah like a football team you don't want yeah. to lose <laughs> for sure you're like oh i'm sorry that happened to you because you i mean you you know how it feels mm-hmm. i i i got on lilac city live which is a spokane public access tv show spokane's first late night access <laughs> like late night show yeah and oh, i was it, i was stoked i i was like really i mean i was really grateful to be there and then I did not do as well as I wanted to. I mean, it went. It was a strong, it was somewhat strong set, but I just it felt bad. I don't know. I felt bad that it was bad. Like I thought it was supposed to. Chris, I, yeah. In, Chris Crocker, the weather lady, was there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that matters. Now, but do you um, do you do a lot of writing beforehand? And what does that look like? Do you sit down to write? I do. I sit down to write. I have a notebook in my back pocket a lot of the time, which is just like random ideas or like reminders. But yeah, multiple notebooks. I did a I did a a stint of um I don't know, there's a book I was reading called The Artist's Way and it was just like every morning wake up and do the morning pages, which is like 3 pages of just random bullshit to get that out of the way and then you can do your serious writing later or whatever so it was just like a thought blockage that was or clearing whatever but uh so yeah i mean i i I enjoy writing in the morning and a lot of times it's just something that's kind of like said and then hey or like an idea like clicking around and then finally put it on paper and then you say it out loud a couple times and put it back on paper. And then you take it to stage and it eats shit. And then you put it back on paper and it kind of figure out. There's like jokes that you're like, man, I really want this to work. And then there's jokes that you're just like, garbage, throw it away. Mm-hmm. You're not married like, to it's, it. Yeah. And there's, I mean, for some reason you want them to work when you can just probably move on and invest your time into something, mm-hmm. other joke or whatnot. But... 
Yeah, I like to sit down. But nothing's also more frustrating when you, like, say something clever or funny, and you're like, yeah, and then you can't really put it, figure out the best way to put it into a joke. Like, for a short time, I did, like, a... I did this stupid thing on stage where I would be like, okay, I got some punchlines that I'm going to run by you guys, see if we can write some jokes about it. And then I would just say, like, stupid shit and then, like, comment on the reaction that it got, whether it was, like, a stupid laugh or, like, a, ooh, don't say that again or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was literally just, like, a 30-second filler of me running out of time on stage or not having enough <laughs> actual written material on stage did where you, I could, like, hey, okay, what's up with this? And Did you know that when you were doing it as a filler? Did you yeah. Say, oh. I, I mean, I, I wrote them. I wrote, I wrote it as, like, because I... Or, like, I'll say f funny stuff and be like, that'd be a funny punchline. Or, like, that's just funny to the ears. Like, there's things that that just happen that are, I don't know, humorous. Mm -hmm. So I would just, like, throw out, yeah, like, I don't even want to bring any of them up now. <laughs> but, yeah, it was just, like, funny shit. I would just say that they were punchlines without a joke. And <laughs> never write the joke. But <laughs> maybe I should go back and write <laughs> some jokes. About it. That's fun, too, because just that experimentation sounds like trying to figure out exactly what you want to write about and how you want to write it, like the style. Yeah, and that, and there's, I mean, I like, I really enjoy s stories. Like, I enjoy telling stories. It's just, like, a, it's a tough one to come by because they actually have to happen. Like, comedy is such an honest art form to where people will notice if it's not, like, true. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I... I mean, I, I've got some good stories that I sh share on stage or like short bits and stuff, but I think I think those are just time to come. You know what I mean? Does that influence how you spend your free time? Kinda. There is times where it's like being, and that's part of the reason I'm moving away from Sandpoint as well, is that it's such a small, pleasant view town. Where there's nothing that ever really, like, happens. It's like, I go to Spokane, and I'm like, oh my god, there's so much culture, and there's life, and things happening, but, I mean, that's just Spokane. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I just, it's time to get out and experience more. I mean, even, yeah, even, like, talking to my girlfriend today on the phone, she's like, yeah, I went and volunteered at the public library. There was some lady shooting up in the bathroom, and I was like, what? That would never happen in <laughs> And she was, yeah, and she was, like, talking about how she got an assault with the police officer, but he swung first, so this, and I'm like, what? Why were you talking to this lady about this? Yeah, that's what I'm talking but, about. Yeah, I mean, that's life. That's life mm -hmm. right there, but. Yeah, it's like when I, I was uh, podcasting with a homeless in Seattle, and we were down at, it was Nicholsville, which was, like, a tiny encampment. So they made tiny houses for these homeless. They're temporary shelters. And it, it was this lot. And they actually had their own democracy in the sense that, like, they all had to vote in on the rules and regulations, which then had, was monitored by, like, local housing authorities or communities. And then um, they were also, like, you can earn your way to um, a board member of the place in which you uh, participate in managing everyone, all your other fellow homeless people. A and... They did this, and as long as they maintain, like, you know, certain requirements, this, the city or the neighborhood allowed them um, to use this lot. So I was interviewing with them, and we got done interviewing. I head back up uh, to downtown Seattle. On my way there, um, we get 
there's a guy is like yelling in front of this jewelry or retail store, and he's trying to pull his girlfriend away from this security officer who's like like trying to retain restrain her. Yeah. And he fucking whips out mace and just squirts it wildly through the air, and it like hits me in the face, hits this girl, and I'm like, what the fuck? And like those homeless people I interviewed were nice. Yeah. This guy's crazy. And then he got the girl. He fucking because the security officer's covering his face with his mace, like ah. And he gets the girl. They run across the street, and then the second security officer comes, and he stops at the edge of the street and watches them walking quickly down the street and turning into the alleyway. And I'm like, why are you stopping? Like, oh, I'm a security officer for this building. I cannot legally cross this line. I'm not allowed to do anything. I'm like, <laughs> what? You just should have just pissed right there. Yeah. Like, what? Like, so we're giving me pepper sprayed. And you're right. I never would have experienced that, like, in, in Sandpoint. And that's why yeah. I just, when I think of it, you know, I, I can... I feel like there's more adventure, not more adventure, just a different kind of adventure, like yeah. urban adventure. And uh, just like when I go out into the woods, right, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's, uh, what do you call it? It's, it's a lot of fun. Because even with my son, like, we would be riding the bus and there's, like, some Swedish dude on there. Yeah. And I got to ask him about where he's from, why he's in Seattle. And yeah. Shit. I know. And that's, yeah, that's standpoint. Fucking white people, dude. <laughs> yeah, Fucking yeah. white people. <laughs> Just a bit. Seriously, so sick. <laughs> old. Sick of old white people. Dude, Winthrop, and there's some spots in Washington that... I rode my bike through that I was just like, oh, <laughs> old white people. So you were riding through New Halem, and I bet at one point you saw these houses, and they were completely overgrown by, like, ivies. Yeah, there's, like, some busted-ass ones, too, that are like, that house is older than time. And people live in some of those. Yeah. <laughs> Those people are probably older than time. That's exactly the kind of... But it's the same, uh, or a very similar kind of, like, culture. <laughs> and not in Sandpoint, but there's, like, outlying areas in Sandpoint, yeah. right? In Sandpoint, for sure. It's. I mean, it's a great place, and it's got its perks, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, worked at a, I worked at a resort. I worked at Beyond Hope this last summer, and Ooh. I was just like, ugh, all these people... Are terrible. <laughs> Seriously, just paying way too much to go whatever they call camping. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that pisses me. Fucking oversized RVs. When I'm riding my bike, I'm like, what in the world do you have so much of that needs to be stored in a Motley Crew size RV? <laughs> and the thing, too, when it drives by, it's like all of a sudden a wall. Like all the, I'm like, whoa. Eclipses the sun, dude. Seriously, what the giant? And then it's also pulling an SUV. <laughs> where I'm like, you, <laughs> you too many V's going yeah, on. Or and they're gonna get an ATV. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. They call those Texas wheelchairs. <laughs> yeah. they, those, those, yeah, RVs yeah. are huge. Some of them, I'm like, that's would be so obnoxious to drive around. Like, if you had to go anywhere besides the interstate, yeah. basically, besides forward, if you had to do anything besides forward, 
would be the worst thing in the world. Uh, probably like 20 cameras on its ass. Yeah, you, I would need them because mm. that thing is anything besides forward. Yeah. I'll write that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and people were just, you have the tendency to like take those comforts with you so you stay. You know, you have everything's relatively like safe. You have your house. It's a certain specific temperature. Temperature yeah. doesn't change, and that's what um, my experience with like going to the outdoors. Right, it took me a while because I've been I've driven somewhere and it took me four hours to get there. I so excited, planned for like weeks before, and I get out and I get out of the car. I'm like, oh, it's cold. <laughs> so I turn around and I go home. <laughs> four more hours yeah. back. Um. And I thought to myself, like, God, why can't you, you know, you just you just do it, essentially. Yeah. But we just have this natural tendency, you know, for comfort. And yeah, we get in, I mean, even, even it's funny, because, like, my mom doesn't live in Sandpoint, but when she would come visit, I mean, I love seeing family, but all of a sudden you're like, go home. Like, <laughs> I want to get back to my normal routine of doing my whatever I do every day, go to work. And, yeah, mm-hmm. hang out. Like, this hanging out with families too, like, gotten too much. Yeah. It's time to move on. But, yeah. I don't know. That We do get in a rhythm and, like, a comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to break that to to know what life's all about. That's what's interesting, taking an adventure like that. Some of that all-natural Febreze. Yeah. Some of that... Sun. Well, some people will be trying to get after some adventure. Um, usually consider cost. What's the cost look like to you? Um, initial price like bicycle and gear and whatnot is, I mean, fairly expensive. Especially, I mean, you can do it. You can do it fairly cheap. You could get a '90s mountain bike frame, which is basically what my bike's made out of. I mean, an all steel frame with. And and you can put it together probably pretty cheap, but like I said, initial price kind of expensive, and then after that, super cheap. Like I haven't spent, but I don't know, I've maybe spent thirty bucks since I've started. Wow! And that's yeah, and that's like groceries a couple times. I went out to break. I spent. I went out to breakfast today, mm-hmm. so I spent some money today. But like, I haven't. I haven't paid for any camping, which I should have, but mm-hmm. I haven't. Um, and I only use a very small space with my tent and bicycle. There's RVs rolling in there. <laughs> yeah, it's got a mansion. <laughs> yeah, dude's got. Dude should be paying three times the amount. Um, but and then there's like a lot of cool free spots. Like Tenasket's got a free camp spot at the visitor center for just traveling cyclists really this is it popular for traveling cyclists it's, to be out there? yeah it's uh so there's a route there's a big route that goes across from anacortis all the way over and it's called the northern tier mm-hmm. and there's multiple routes there's like the southern tier i'm going to be doing the pacific coast highway once i get over there a little bit further but uh so on on those designated routes, there's definitely some things that are set up for it. Like right outside of Colville, there's this place called the Bacon Bike Hostel, oh, that's cool. and it's just like on a, um, it's just on a, 
old couple's piece of property, which is an extra house that they had, and they were like, yeah, stay here. Traveling cycle is free fill to use our facilities. There's, like, bunk beds and the couch. Never even saw the people. I just, like, rolled in there in their answering machines, just like, if you're looking for the bike hostel, there's a 99% chance that there's availability. Just come on in and hang out. So, like... It's basically just a house you could stay at if you were passing through, <laughs> no matter what, because I don't think anybody. <laughs> but yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird setup. But I stayed there. A couple other traveling That's cyclists cool. like showed up. I BS'd with them. They have some like old religious VHSs and whatnot. No way. Yeah, <laughs> some some National Geographic. What I can get down on. But, and then there's other um, warm showers. I stayed with a warm showers host, which is just like a traveling cyclist. Um, Did you have to, so that's not like a hotel or anything like that? No, that's a, it's a, warm showers is a community, like uh, couch surfing, where you sign up for a host, and then people will host you as you're on your tour. Wow. So, like, this last summer I hosted a couple, and I just, I mean, we lived in a small house, so I was like, well, there's a piece of prop, I mean, we got a yard you can set your tent up in, and they were like, sweet, that sounds great. So, like, I bullshitted with these other traveling cyclists that um, were just passing through Sandpoint and camped in my backyard, but they were super cool. So, it's just a community, and I contacted them, and they were right outside of... um, Republic, mm-hmm. which is a weird place, mining town. Ooh. I guess they've pulled more gold out of Republic than they have in like most other spots of the world. Really? It's crazy. Is there like a big mountain there? It's a, I don't even know. The guy, the guy that the warm showers host that I stayed with was this dude who manages a mine and was like, dude, he had way too much to talk about <laughs> that I did not care enough. I'm like, okay, just tell me where the gold come from. I'll go to bed. I'm good to go. He went on for like an hour and a half. Like, yeah, we, we'll do this and that, the safety of the mine, and you got to spend a billion dollars on this mine, and I, I'm into this mine down in here. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I get it. I get it. But there's been, yeah, I guess more gold. I don't know if it's the most, but Mm-hmm. You would think that town would be like cool, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for like it's the like, amount of like, cool shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. You'd think that town had something to offer besides <laughs> we did once have a lot of gold here. It's all dry. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's literally such a small weird town. I always get uh, curious about what draws people to places like that. This one, I think, the guy did say that there was a mine that was, like, up and active, and there was, like, 200 employees that worked there. Mm -hmm. And when that one shut down, basically, everybody that lived in that town (laughs) lost their job. (laughs) I don't know. There was a couple teachers and nurses that were like, good thing I didn't get into the gold mine business. (laughs) But I don't know exactly what the... That's funny. That, uh... It's interesting too how how those industries will shape the culture of a town because like Sandpoint was a resort, yeah, uh, like tourism and then logging, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a town here like Concrete. Yeah, that was a weird one. That you know why it's called Concrete? I 
Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> a concrete factory was built. Yeah. And they built houses for people to work there. Uh, and they named the town Concrete. I, I rode through it. I thought it was ironic because the main strip of that town <laughs> is literally paved concrete. And I was like, is this like some sort of joke? I just, I, I, that was like, I didn't, I didn't even, I was going to post it. <laughs> Did you see? There's a, uh, they have abandoned factories all throughout there. I saw the silo. I <laughs> stopped at this little park because I had to take a piss, and it was like silo park. And I was like, what the hell is this silo shape? And then I looked to the right, and there's just these giant, like, silos that are the exact same shape as the. I was like, mm, makes sense. Wait a minute. Is it silo park? Yeah. They dedicated a park to their abandoned factory. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. There's like three of them right next to it. So that way when it collapses, it's got a nice soft landing <laughs> yeah. in a soccer field. <laughs> <laughs> and they can keep it around for future reference. Yeah, I don't know why they decided uh, to put it there. That's funny sure. shit. Um, and also, you were doing this for uh, World Bicycle Relief, right? Yep. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, so on this uh, mm-hmm. oatmeal fuel journey of acceptance from strangers, I'll be raising money for World Bicycle Relief, an amazing nonprofit and organization who've crafted, built, locally distributed a rugged bicycle for rural African communities. What? They're with this bicycle, they're empowering women, children, entrepreneurs, students to acquire not only their vital everyday tasks, but to achieve more and become more, I guess. So, I mean, it is honestly the power of a bicycle can do immense for someone who has to travel miles and miles just for water or whether it's to get to school or transport what they or their dairy or I mean anything the things we take advantage of are are I mean at I mean people putting people at risk really mm-hmm. and so yeah world bicycle relief and yeah like I was saying they've uh, they've now introduced school programs which which are cool cuz students can acquire themselves a uh, they're called the buffalo bicycle and they can acquire themselves um, one of those. And enrollment went up like 28% after that. Wow. And so that was super cool. And then they um, locally distributed or locally assembled on site. So they're now supplying jobs to other people's needs and teaching. Closed cycle. Yeah, teaching and how to repair and how to work these bicycles in a way that they're going to last for a long time too. So they altering their transportation device and in a very attainable way whereas a car i would imagine maintenance uh, oh, yeah. gas all of those things and that's walking best case scenario but giving them say a rugged bike um it's a it's called the buffalo bicycle it's an all steel bicycle it's a single speed it's a it's like a 45 pound bike it's got a really cool like kickstand so it can hold up and you don't have to like balance the bike while you're trying to put um, water or whatnot on the back. Oh, it has uh, storage capacity. Um, it has a rack on the back. Nice. And then a nice, like, drop frame so you can step in there and whatnot. But, yeah, I mean, kids... Kids are now... I mean, 
now stoked about going to school and not having to to travel that distance and being able to come home and help out with chores or i mean even the dangers of whether it's another human or i mean an animal or whatnot of just walking or the barrier of the sun Mm -hmm. i mean having to watch that thing go down as you're trying to tromp home would suck yeah exactly and i mean what a bicycle can do is yeah amazing really i mean and and yeah not only i mean in in long distance i mean i see it even in the cities and whatnot here where it's Mm -hmm. like that dude had a bicycle maybe he could supply himself with demands or a job or i don't know access more resources yeah get get somewhere get do something you Mm -hmm. know what i mean it's a tool not to start yeah and so a very vital vital tool and um definitely something that i felt like would would go along with my bicycle journey as well Mm -hmm. and and it's been it's been great it's been i mean something that i never really a different I don't know. It's something that I never really thought I'd be a part of, I guess. But I mean, stoked about it mm-hmm. for sure. Giving, giving back and doing something is, it's good. It's yeah. good. I've never been one, and yeah. You've never been one. Why? Well, like and with with much, you know what I mean. But it is nice to like with much to give. Well, like I mean, like uh, I don't know. Just yeah. Yeah, I. I guess I've never been one with much to, I guess, many resources to yeah, you know, give. Or, yeah, I don't know what I was trying to say, but with, yeah, a lot mm-hmm. to offer. I don't know. But yeah, I, I can see that because, you know, you, within your past or whatever, you, you had more more lessons to overcome and instead of, you know, look, helping others. And now you've, I could see how you can kind of feel like, well, if there's anything that I can do to help others... Yeah. And why not capitalize on that or do that rather? Um, I've been there myself because I've seen myself struggle. And if there's an opportunity, whether it's an individual or even an organization, like I would love to help out as much as I, you know, as much yeah, as I definitely. could. But, um, do you ever, did you ever consider giving up so far on your trip and how, what is your self-talk to get over that? Giving up. Yeah. It uh, it definitely passes through your mind, and like I was, I mean, with every hill, that's the what I mean. That's what I kind of, I guess, gets me past it. Is it's like, dude, it's it's just it's it's another achievement. You've got to do this. It's or it's some weird thing in the back of my head where I'm like, dude, it's stories to tell your kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like this is just this is just something you got. This is something you're going through that it's gonna be a fun one. <laughs> then down the road, you know what I mean? You're mm-hmm. pissed off and angry right now, but it, it'll be worth it, or I don't know. And it is, there is mentally battles, or there's like just like the weird mentally battles where like you're like, I would, if someone offered me a ride, I'd take it right now. <laughs> you're like climbing <laughs> up a hill, like if someone stopped and was like, yay, man, you want to ride? You'd be like, yeah, for sure. But there's also, and there's the times where people have offered you rides and you're like, no, this is something that I have to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like there was a lady last time I was on bike tour who the probably the gnarliest part of my ride was coming down Washington and Rainy Pass where there's like signs that are like severe winds for the next <laughs> 24 miles. <laughs> you're like, okay, whatever, severe winds. And then you're just like, like these winds are severe. 
<laughs> Dude, and it got heavy, and I stopped at, like, the Ross Lake lookout, and this lady was like, can I give you a ride? And I was just like, that seems like something I gotta do, lady. <laughs> I was like, this is scary. <laughs> I should have taken a ride. I don't know. Traveling. I was like, yeah, there was multiple times. Semi trucks. Logging trucks are a little scary, but it's not necessarily that I feel like I'm. There is times that I feel like it was going to fail or worry about my body not being able to hold up. Mm -hmm. I feel like my Achilles, that one was a weird one where I kind of like one day I took some ibuprofen and I rubbed it down with Tiger Bomb. And it loosened up, and all of a sudden I was like, okay, so it's not it's not permanently damaged, which was I was, like, kind of worried about, where I was like, oh. if I tore something or, like, stretched it out, worked it out too fast, too soon, whatever, then I'd be pissed if my bike ride came to an end because I had a tear in my Achilles tendon. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's still sore, and it's stretching it out. That's one thing I need to do more of. The stretch in general. Yeah, the stretches help. Yeah, and it's just, I don't know, it sucks when you wake up in the rain or whatnot. You don't want to spend the 15 minutes while you're frustrated, frustration, or, yeah, breaking down camp all frustrated and mm-hmm. you don't want to take time to stretch out. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's that, um, it's in those moments and telling yourself, basically, having that discipline can be really difficult. And I find myself doing that when I'm out in the wilderness and I'm sleeping outside and it's a bitch. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like, yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of things can ruin sleeping in a tent. Uh, um, like that one, if you, if you have to piss that one time, <laughs> you're like, I do not want to get out of this warm ass sleeping bag. <laughs> like, can I just roll over? No, I got to, I have to get out. It's the worst. And then you have to like warm back up, but I mean, that's part of it. You just have to keep empty water bottles. <laughs> I know. I definitely... There's, it sucks getting out of the out of your sleeping bag in the middle of the night, that's for sure. And so after here in Cedar Woolley, Washington, um, where are you planning to go next? Um, I'm going to head up to Bellingham. I've got a buddy there. I told him Sunday night I'm going to do some open mics. I was trying to figure out the best run. You guys were saying some, which would be sweet. Mm-hmm. And then I might head out to Deception Pass and then down and around towards, like, Seattle. Maybe stay at Port Townsend. Ooh. Um, That's a really pretty area for, for riding. Um, yeah. Just because it's, like, was it open farmland and it right out in the Puget Sound. Dude, there's some... And there might be... I don't know. I might spend some more time adventuring, depending on how many days I've got. And how many open mics I find, really. But then Seattle, I think I would roll into Seattle probably Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Head to Tacoma Wednesday. And then pedal. I don't know how long it's going to take me to pedal from Tacoma to Portland and Vancouver. Mm-hmm. But not very long. Probably day or two days. You doing like I-5 down? Um, that's the one thing you're not allowed to ride a bike on, is the interstate. Why is that? I don't know, I think just, like, the busyness of it. You're not allowed to hitchhike on it, too, now that I think about it. So, um, Google's got my back. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know, I haven't, I, 
um, when I was on last time I was on bicycle tour, I uh, lost my map mm-hmm. from the section that goes from Anacortes to the beginning of Oregon mm-hmm. border, and then this time I lost my map from Sandpoint to Anacortes. But so when you're doing these, it's not one like separate trail that is continuous. No, it's there's a lot of I mean roads you can turn off of or like old highways like I don't know you'll find or today I took a freaking rail trail that was like 25 miles long mm-hmm. from concrete to it rolls in right over here I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I got off at the Mindclair or Minclair Road or whatever yeah. and rode that one all the way in but. Yeah, today I rode on... I probably abused my bike a little too much today, but <laughs> it happens. Yeah, exactly. So there is definitely randoms and whatnot, but sometimes you just got to get on the highway and hold on for dear life. Yeah, figure it out as you go along. <laughs> for sure. That's kind of how I like it. It's just fly by the seat of my pants, basically. Yeah. But, and um, You're going to go through Oregon and then all the way down to Southern California? Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit up Portland and Vancouver and then I'm gonna pedal the coast because it's too nice not to. <laughs> a highway one oh one, right? Yeah, just yeah. the one oh one Pacific Coast Highway. And there's I mean I've done that before too, so I can I can stop at the cool spots or stop at the spots that I didn't stop at last time. Um how long does it take you to do the Pacific Coast Highway? Um, last time I rolled in to October. Uh, last time I rolled into Oregon, October 2nd, and I finished my trip October 10th. So it was like wow. eight days. That's not bad. No, it was a good, it was a good push. It wasn't like, at that time I was riding, or at least halfway down, I was riding with this, with this dude, James. He was a pretty cool guy, and, uh, yeah, he, me and him just like basically kicked it. That's the thing about bike tours. You can take, you can go so fast, or you can go so slow. You can stop at every little spot to take a picture, or you can use whatever excuse you want to to like get off your bike, and you get to see it all from such a close, yeah, you know, perspective. Mm-hmm. When the car is just flying by, that's how it is with trail running. When you do yeah. like long runs, thirty, fifty mile runs, and you can take in whatever pace you want to an extent, but you get to points to like, you know, you stop and you can really take it in. You can kind of scramble or go off trail For and sure. come back on trail and continue your long run essentially. Yeah. And it's, it's fun in that sense. Cause it's, it's a lot different than standing behind. I like the windscreen instead of yeah. the windshield. Cause, um, cause that's what it feels like. You know, like TV, like you're kind of, you're, you're outside of the environment you're looking into. Yeah. But when you're like in that element and exerting yourself, I think the exertion's key too. It's there's a yeah, there's something to it. I I can't ride my bike inside. There's mm-hmm. no way. Like on a trainer, I I can't run on the treadmill. Yeah. I can hardly run on the road. But I know, and that's the thing is, if I even try to ride my bike inside, I just like so get thirty forty minutes, and you're just like no. So what like, keeps you going back to your bike? Um. Just, I mean, how how easy and, I mean, it's not obviously easy, but how, it is easy, I don't know, you just hop on, you ride, <laughs> not, I don't know, especially when it's like, 
when it's just around town and like if you live in an area to where you can ride your bicycle, ride it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not going to do you any harm. You know what I mean? Or yeah. like if you yeah, if you're able to not drive, I don't know. Like it's just a it's yeah. In the summertime, I barely start my car in Sandpoint mm-hmm. unless I'm like going to Spokane to for comedy or whatever, but I mean, I start my car three or four times for like the yeah, the last two and a half months that I was there because mm. I was just riding my bike. But damn, I so don't know. It's it's enjoyable. It's a workout. It's it's fast. Mm-hmm. It's accessible. Mm. It's not overpriced. It's not. It's not as stressful, really. Mm-hmm. Driving's fucking. Everyone takes it way too gnarly. N- there's no way to express like I feel. I feel like if you have a fit of anger or frustration, it's more easily expressed in the act of exercising than it is to sit there and have to be still and focused. <laughs> yeah, in the car. That's why people yeah. lose their minds. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a. It's. I don't know. The bike power of a bicycle, man. It's something. It's ironic. You you drink, you get in trouble, lose license, have to ride the bike. Um, become more diligent so that you could have probably never gave my license back stay on probation (laughs) yeah or so that you get off probation right and then get off probation um continue not to drink continue to ride bike yeah (laughs) i know i well and i still like they gave me an interlock they gave me an interlock too so i had that in my car really a little kazoo or whatever breathalyzer Damn. So I was like, I mean, I didn't even need my license at that point. I wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have if I, if I, I don't know. That's rad, though, because, you know, something that, that you're right, like, you know, the scenario probation stuff, it's not always to the to the advantage, or most of the time even, it's not to the advantage of the individual. However, look at you, man. Yeah. You took, you know, shitty-ass situation, and everything about it just made you more sh- like stronger skilled and interesting yeah i wouldn't be who i am today if i didn't abuse alcohol for years on end and figure out where i stand that's the thing too is i feel like a lot of this this world is just keeping keeping it real Mm -hmm. knowing where you stand and not necessarily trying to prove anybody else like different you Mm -hmm. know what i mean it's when people are like, I don't know, step up with that weird, fake, I don't know, whatnot, and then are able to, I don't, know, I don't know, I guess just figuring out, yeah, being honest. I completely, I agree with you, learning how to articulate the things that you exactly want and the things that you exactly think, as opposed to um, falling to the guise of how you ought to think yeah. and based on people's input around you. And it's really easy to be like a meteor just kind of bouncing off randomly through life as opposed to taking some sort of direction. I mean, to take direction is something fierce, and I don't mean to be dramatic about it, but like to actually ask yourself, what do I want and how exactly do I tell you and stand up to you if it challenges me or, you know, that's something. Yeah. It's an, I don't know, wild world we live in. It is. It's fun because I see people who just like, whoop. All throughout, you know, life, like, um, 
they don't or they're really... lying to themselves. Yeah. Or they're just not they're not taking the time to acknowledge what's happening in in their life or in the world in general. I don't know. I'm all about keeping a good attitude, but also I don't know. You gotta be real. Yeah. Real's real. You gotta be honest, because if yeah. you're not, I mean, if if you're not, then how how can the people around you grow, right? It's it's that balance, though. Is you you got to be real. Yeah. You know. But um, where can people find out more about you? Um, follow me on Instagram at jokes and spokes. I've got my Facebook page just under my personal um, info at Austin Langley. But most of my content's gonna be coming out, like I said, on Instagram at jokes and spokes. Um. I do have a Twitter as well at Jokes and Spokes. Fundraising, there's a link in my bio, and you can find me at World Bicycle Relief under the donate page at Jokes and Spokes or under Austin Langley or www.worldbicyclerelief backslash Jokes and Spokes. But yeah, so there, there's yeah spots there, but mostly Instagram. Give me a follow. I'll shoot you a message. We'll chit-chat. I plan on going live more of this uh, adventure. I've just now started doing that. It's been fun. Um, mostly stories, too. I've been trying to put out content, or stories at least, like, fun. posts. But, yeah. I've been loving following, following along with those, man. <laughs> yeah, they're, I'm trying. I think they're only going to get better. So Especially the one about the uh, the cattle... Yeah, cattle slaughter. Yeah, <laughs> cattle slaughter, dude. <laughs> and I'll be sure to leave uh, a link to your Instagram handle and uh, World Bicycle Relief in the show notes as well. Show. So when does uh, when are you planning to wrap up this tour? Um, I there's no set schedule on when it's supposed to end. Basically, when I hit San Diego, I'm like worried there's going to be comedy scenes that I might be really attracted to. Like in San Francisco, I might. I mean, I could probably spend two weeks in the area just to get getting up every night. You know what I mean? So, and then L.A., I know the area there, at least, like, West Hollywood, and there's a hostel I stayed at last time. I could do that again. Uh, do you have to stay at hostels or um, or people's houses when you go into the urban centers? Um, yeah, hopefully. I have, um, I have some friends in Bellingham. Portland, I have some friends. I've been told that I have some acquaintances in San Fran from some other friends that are like, hey, if you need a place to stay. If not, I can always check out warm showers and maybe ride my bike in, or if I'm not feeling safe with my bike, I can always take public transportation mm-hmm. and just leave my bike at a safe place. Yeah. Because that's one thing that is kind of stressful. And that sometimes prohibits people from doing something like that. Um, has has that been a thought? Like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. Should I even do this tour? Um, If you're thinking about doing a tour, you should, mm-hmm. no matter what. Even if... Do the Oregon Coast, if or start simple, and s- save up a bunch of money, and, like, stay in hotels and hostels and do it easy. I don't know. Don't let... Don't let things discourage you from not doing the things that you love i guess or the things that you think even that's even if that's the only reason you're doing it is because you think it's cool 
do it. Yeah. Do it, or at least take the time to do it and then be like, eh, it wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. And then you know how to do it again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. At least it's new. At least it's a new experience. Yeah, right? it's something. Yeah. Something different than your normal routine of getting up and working or doing what you got to do. That's how I try to check myself. Is like, because I get afraid. You know, it's easy to lose perspective and dilute yourself. Um, that how do I know if I'm uh, making you know. The, not the right choices. What the fuck are the right choices? But yeah. interesting choices, right? Or if my life's going in a positive direction. If I'm confused, I always ask myself, well, am I making the same choices that I did yesterday? And if they're at least slightly different, then I know at least I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. You know? That's for but, sure. Yeah. All right, sweet. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Um, if you want to follow Austin, you can find him at Jokes and Spokes on Instagram. Check out World Bicycle Relief. I'll leave a link to their website in the show notes. I believe you can find them on Instagram as at World Bicycle Relief. Go donate so you can help a family in Africa who's in need ride a bike. I mean, that's sustainable, right? They got feet. They can pedal. Pedaling's quicker than walking or running. You can carry shit. It's like a step up, right? And if you like to support the podcast, please rate, review on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you happen to listen to this shit, and share it with a friend. And if you'd also like to pick up a cap, you can go to the website, becominghumanpodcast.com. I ship everywhere in the United States. Thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. Next week, I have one of my friends coming on to talk about uh, coping skills and getting through darkness. It'll be fun. (laughs) Till next time. Bye.